Hello, and welcome to The Gardens, located in sunny The Gardens is one of the largest combined zoological habitat and theme parks in the world. With over 72 thrilling attractions and nearly 11,000 animals in our care, we know that every member of your family will find something incredible each time you visit. But that's just the start of your adventure. To really see what the park has to offer, I'll turn you over to our top two guides. Take it away, boys! Welcome to ThoughtSpeak, a podcast dedicated to the weekly discussion of Kay Applegate's 1996 book series, Animorphs. My name is Coleman. And my name is Mitchell. What up, everybody? What's going on? If you you haven't heard, or if we haven't posted yet, or you're just not aware of our website, Twitter, or Facebook... Or if you're actively ignoring us... Stop. (laughs) We just finished, like, probably a good... Four minutes ago, um, another private thought speak, which if you, like I said, if you haven't been following us, uh, those are our new little, I don't know, off the cuff discussions that are separate from, well, usually separate from Animorphs. We talked about Animorphs a little bit in this one, but just a little, just a little side project to keep everybody kind of tied over until the next episode comes out. Yeah. You guys should let us know what you think of those. Uh, are they only going up on YouTube? Uh, yeah, for now. I don't see really any reason to throw them on iTunes No, don't. as of yet. We shouldn't do that, but uh, maybe we should make them just audio files so that people could listen to them. And like we could do technically a separate RSS feed just for those or something. Hmm, um, perhaps if they prove popular enough. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see what happens, but... I like it right now the way we're doing it because it's almost effortless. You're effortless. I just cut the audio and throw it over a still image and export it as a video and then pop it on YouTube. That's true. That's why uh, I like doing it. Well, welcome to the show. Thanks for uh, listening to another one. Thanks if for tuning in. If you're new to the show, uh, I don't know why you jumped in on number 17, book 17. That's kind of ridiculous. You should go back and start at one. That's where you learn about what yurks are. Back when we're still getting our sea legs for podcasting. Yeah. We're a little rusty. We're we're young and idealistic about what a podcast could be or, or what kind of schedule we could keep. Um, we're an ambitious young squad with everything to prove. <laughs> Nothing to lose. Uh, <laughs> now we have everything to lose. And the harsh realities of life have made us cynical and really depressed, if I'm, if I'm being honest. <laughs> that, that's you, man. I'm living <laughs> life to the fullest over here. Well, we're going to jump straight into our discussion of Book 17, The Underground, and uh, we're going to do that now. This section of the park houses one of the most extensive research libraries devoted to animal biology on the West Coast. Your guides will provide a thorough summary of any book that might catch your eye. Careful, though. Once you get them started, they'll never want to stop. All right, like I said, we are discussing and reviewing Book number 17, The Underground. This is a Rachel book, which I don't know how I feel about those right now. I think they're kind of still a little iffy as far as whether I care about being in her head. Yeah, uh, there there are some things that kind of irk me, but we'll we'll Uh point them out as I go. I'm going to go ahead and read the back. What's tasty? Good for you. and only takes about 60 seconds to make. Oatmeal. And it's making the Yerks more than a little crazy. Now Rachel, the other Animorphs, and Axe have a new weapon against the Yurks. Sounds good, right? Wrong. Because it means another trip to the Yurk Pool, and the possibility of running into Visitor 3. 
and of not being able to get back up to the surface. The Animorphs and X have taken chances before and been very lucky, but this time their luck may be about to run out. Oh it's, no! Th- their luck's not about. They've never, they've never been lucky in the past. I mean, they've survived, but their luck is terrible. Right? Yeah. Their, their luck's constantly running out and yeah. then running back in. So this is, uh, this is the Animorphs book that you are embarrassed to read in public because it's super pink, has just yeah. a blonde girl on the front turning into a bat. Uh, yeah, but this... if if I must say, Rachel is at her most attractive on this uh, cover thus she's far. She's like she's like thirteen. You can't tell that by looking at the model. <laughs> also, I... this is this is when the uh, the the cover quotes officially jump the shark here. There's Double nothing bat. to fear but the yurks themselves. <laughs> <laughs> that makes no sense. Hey, to be fair, at least we have uh, four ellipses on the front. To match the back. Ooh, Remember when those didn't match up? Continuity. Hmm. It's pretty crazy. And I will say, even though it's very pink, uh, the overall design seems more conformed and uh, a little, a little more higher quality. I don't know if that's true. Yeah, I don't like, know. Like the background looks more tie dye-ish and not as, you know, bad graphic clouds. <laughs> this still looks like some difference clouds rendered in uh in Photoshop here. Yeah, that's possible. Uh the inside cover is staggeringly 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 relevant, uh, which is a surprise. Yeah, it's it's not a bad inside oh, flap. Nope, never mind. Sorry. I was going to give the inside cover praise, but if this is correct, the Yerk pool is about 15 feet wide no i assume that that's not the yerk pool uh pictured there well then why are stairs leading directly into the small body of water well i mean it's obviously not the yerk pool there's no it's not the the leaden gray it's there's no pier there's no you know controllers huddled around it i think this is just a this is just a, a, a common uh, thing that we run into here with the but, uh, artists not knowing what they're doing. <laughs> but yeah, to be fair, they might think this is the York pool and just not know about any of that stuff. <laughs> they're like a pool. Yorks are the bad guys, right? I guess that's this is where they sunbathe. Oh, uh, they they live in they live in caves and uh, <laughs> dive into pools. I don't know. You know, at some point we do have to start blaming Michael Grant and Kay Applegate. Well, not so Michael Grant, because I doubt he was really in the business side of things, because as far as I know, Kay Applegate was just taking credit for all of this, and no one knew Michael Grant was writing half of it. <laughs> um, but I, I at some point, that. we have to blame them, because, you know, when you're on book 17, you've seen some of the bad decisions these artists are making with your covers and inside covers, and you could at least make an effort to be like, like even shout things across the room at them so that they have knowledge even if they're not trying to remember it i don't know scholastic must have just told her to you know stick to writing and we'll stick to the marketing <laughs> a poor decision on everyone's part that eh, that, that could be it we'll yeah. never know unless we get her on the show yeah that's true okay well, <laughs> you want to get into the story here i was gonna say the exact same thing about you um you want to do a summary of the overall plot or just jump into the what no let's let's walk through it like we always do we always do but i i think this one 
we could stop and just at least address the f- community and how they talk about this one because it's it's different from a lot of the ones this isn't like a big book it's not some epic mythology book or anything uh but it is one talked about quite a bit Why? and i think that's well it's because it centers around centers around oatmeal and a lot of people took that as just ridiculous and it's 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 an inside joke yeah it's almost community. like the uh the andalite toilet back from um uh book 14 yeah so i mean you know i don't think i'm spoiling anything saying that that gets a lot of uh jabs and joking around with the animorphs community and the fact that it's all about oatmeal and that in itself is funny but i think a little bit like the uh andalite toilet book this book takes it seriously I mean, it's not just joking around. I mean, it's kind of joking in the fact that it's oatmeal and the kids are joking about that. But it takes the plot pretty straightforward. Yeah, there's a a pretty cool element, I thought, about the whole oatmeal thing. But um, we'll get into that a little bit later. Okay. You want to start us off with uh, what goes on in the beginning? Oh, you bet I do. Um, This one's a doozy because it starts out with the uh, team basically trying to convince Jake that uh, they all want to go check out this Planet Hollywood event. Um, and it's a big deal because there's going to be a lot of celebrities there, um, particularly the ones that they're really excited for are uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Lucy Lawless, who played Xena. Always a uh, big 90s reference, especially in this series, Xena. And I think Stallone and uh, Willis are Oh, yeah, yeah Bruce Willis right yep uh, there's a lot of celebrities but the the bogus uh excuse that they come up here come up with here is that so acts can learn about human culture that's how they justify this yeah obviously marco and them just want to see some celebrities and get into a unexclusive event uh basically everything they're against when it's not particularly something they want to do yeah here's a good chance for them to use their powers for for personal gain once more except now everybody's on board so huzzah (laughs) (laughs) basically well you know after what happened in the last book they kind of need a little (laughs) little r and r a little pick me up as Uh, much as they can possibly get yeah so after a little food court scene which is always good with axe just eating a cinnamon and apparently eating a cinnamon bun from cinnabon uh, causes him to just continue eating even when the bun is gone. Like if the bun touched something, he's going to eat that as well. Yo, that's uh, not so that's... until a little bit later. What? No, it's right here. No, I don't know why you're jumping ahead all the time. Oh, uh, because my phone skipped ahead. Sorry. Stupid phone. That's why you can't depend on phone technology for podcasting. Anyway, so the, the they go to this big Planet Hollywood event. And I like that they actually say that it's Planet Hollywood. Um, because sometimes, you know, they, they come up with generic terms when, I guess, using the proper term is not uh, acceptable. Even though they, they have no problem with product placement with Cinnabon and Taco Bell and all these yeah. other places. And if um, you're, you know, under the age of 20 and you're trying to figure out what a play in Hollywood is, it's just basically a restaurant that with a ton of movie memorabilia and props from different movies and it's all hollywood themed and it's actually owned by arnold schwarzenegger and sylvester stallone right so it's not crazy to think that these celebrities would be out there representing this no they'd open them all the time 
And uh, the team is is flying around in bird morph, you know, having a grand old time looking at all the celebrities when uh, uh, Rachel spots a just guy going crazy in some uh, building downtown. And he looks like he's about to bust out one of the windows and leap to his death. And the Animorphs act quickly in time to uh, catch the guy as he's falling. And, you know, this is like four or five... <laughs> giant birds gliding this person down let's see yeah i didn't know how believable that was because actually most of them are pretty small i mean rachel's morph is the only decent sized bird ospreys are tiny perigen falcons are pretty small tobias is maybe a mid-sized talk you know yeah and i think tobias was more just like guiding them along and you yeah. know it wasn't like they were actually lifting the guy they they were trying to glide him to... to they only him. moved him a little bit towards the already closed river. So that helped the believability a little bit. Yeah, they, they dump him off in the river. And to stop the guy from drowning, Rachel goes in and morphs Dolphin and helps him out there. And um, I, I don't know about this scene, honestly. This is... this When I read this, I was like, ugh, we're not off to a good start. Yeah, it's just <laughs> setting up the plot. It's just some exposition. I know. It, it just... I, I don't like it when the plot hinges on heavy coincidence, which is something that happens a lot in Animorphs books, but this one really, really irked me. I can kind of see, I mean, granted, we are coming into the books as things are happening, so you could kind of not chalk it up to coincidence. I, I think in this Yorktown, now that we've gotten a an idea of how big the invasion is, which is pretty much centered around this town for now, um, I would say that an alien population invading is going to cause plenty of strange events that if they're outdoors and they're in morph doing things, they're going to run into some weird stuff. So it's possible and not not 100%, just right place, right time. I think there's probably a lot of events like this happening with, you know, a newly invading alien species, and they're running across like one-fifth of them. Yeah, I don't know. You know, I'm not going to say it's not possible that they could be out flying around for one thing and then just happen to spot a guy committing suicide who just happens to be, you know, the the bringer of this oatmeal. Well, when you say scenario. it like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's where I'm coming at from this. But whatever, as you said, yeah, it sets up the plot. Not to not to carry this on much longer, but uh, to be fair, this this book itself does say that this is a widespread problem this is not just a few yurks tons and tons of yurks are addicted to this stuff so there could be tons of events like this happening i guess that's true that is true um and then this is where we cut to uh, later at the mall where the the team is assembling for some good old dialogue at the food court and i believe this is the first scene where axe is introduced to uh cinnamon buns buns no it's not the first cinnamon buns scene ever we've already had two ever 100 percent. oh well it's just been so long i guess (laughs) (laughs) they find out the guy's name though which is interesting the the guy yeah yeah george edelman is this controller this mad controller's name although they don't know he's a controller at this point yeah and rachel it's it's funny her little reaction where she is like oh i didn't even try to look up the guy's name but now that she knows it it's like oh that's the guy i saved that means something yeah, and everybody's like, you know, oh, you saved him. You're responsible for him now. Kind of joking about that. Apparently she he's doesn't a really take it very serious. He has a life debt to her now. Right, yeah. 
And then later, uh, we've, we've got Rachel hanging out at home, having one of these, uh, you know, Rachel's home life scenes with her sister, and her mom comes in. and Which, um, to interrupt real quick, is my first note that I wrote down. Oh, yeah? Uh, the fact that this is one of the first few times that we get continuity within the person who we're following versus just continuity with the last book. Rachel's in her kitchen. It mentions that it's still under construction from when, uh, back in the reaction, when she fell through her uh, bedroom floor into the kitchen, nearly killing her sister. Classic uh, Rachel storyline. Yeah, we have continuity from Rachel's last book to her new book instead of just the normal what it had been doing of whatever the last book is. Maybe they'll mention it a couple times or something, the plot of that one. So I, I found that good. That's a good direction the series should take uh, to make it more personal, make the continuity more personal and slightly more complicated, which is the sign of a good book series. Yeah, yeah. It, it definitely uh, gains points, you know, for hearkening back. And that makes sense that they would mention it then, um, being that this is the first time we've really had a scene with Rachel and her family in her house in uh, quite a while, probably since the reaction, in mm -hmm. fact. Yep. So it's all good, and, and her mom is uh, kind of upset with her for a little bit until... She, she mentions that she is uh, George Edelman's new lawyer. Coincidentally. That's the coincidence that bugs me. Yeah, yeah. That I mean, I saw it coming, but wow. It's, it's just super coincidental. Plus the fact that this is also when Rachel finds out from her mom, nonetheless, that uh, George Edelman's going crazy because he thinks he's got a York or a York in his head <laughs> yeah funny little scene hearing her mom talk about the alien invasion that her daughter's fighting but still. oh she's gonna get she's gonna get well acquainted with it later on <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh so they decide to go where george edelman is being housed which is a mental facility because yeah which they keep referring to as a nut house yeah not very politically correct animorphs no but it makes sense given the fact that they're all you know 14 15 year olds <laughs> Yeah, no, it makes sense, but this wouldn't have flown probably if it came out this year. Or so. If they got to seventeen and the re-releases, they would probably change this whole joking conversation about nuts. And... Yeah, I thought it, they they did come on a little strong here, but I guess maybe that's just the adult in me going, "Ooh, those darn animorph kids! Those darn kids being disrespectful to the mentally disabled." Mm -hmm. Uh, so they find a way to sneak in, which is a mental facility. It's it's locked down pretty tight. Uh, but they see it's being delivered to by trucks, you know, normal stuff. So they fly into the back of the truck and uh, demorph in a very cramped space. Uh, yeah, ooh, and... tight spaces. Rachel and Marco, and then her cousin is also there. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they go cockroach before they're caught by the people who saw them fly in as birds. Um, right, yeah, kind of hard to miss that. <laughs> Uh, and oh, I, even though this was a silly coincidence, I thought this was pretty funny. The fact that they're talking about how, you know, this is a delivery truck that has uh, food in it. The food it has is fruit from South America, like bananas. Yeah, not just things. any fruit. They're they're in a box of bananas from South America. Yeah, and they make a joke. Uh, I'd love to know if they were referencing arachnophobia or something with Jeff Daniels. But uh, they make a joke about how some of these uh, crates, they come with uh, spiders and tarantulas and stuff from South America that love to, you know, eat the flies and insects that come for bananas. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, because they mention this, 
that immediately happens. And you know what? <laughs> I, I don't mind the scene. I like the fact that they included uh, uh, the the tarantula in the bananas. That's that's great. But what I didn't like was the fact that you know one character points it out, and then it immediately happens. Like that's another thing that came off as a coincident when it didn't need to be. Yeah, they you could've, could've, they could have very easily just been attacked by the spider and then maybe had Cassie mention after the yeah. incident. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. That would kind of thing happens. Would have completely fixed the problem with it if uh, right. Cassie just had some knowledge was just like, yeah, that happens every once in a while. I just would have liked to have that explanation come after it instead of before it, because then it made it seem, you know, predictable. <laughs> Yeah, so Tobias comes in, he eats the spider. Right, yeah, before Rachel's in real danger here, and she's like lost cockroach legs and stuff, and Tobias just swoops in like, oh, is that you down there? <laughs> comes in, he eats the spider. Yeah, uh, which that can't be healthy for a hawk. Tarantulas <laughs> from South America. You don't know I'm what willing diseases... to bet they eat, they eat weirder stuff. You don't know what disease that South American tarantula is carrying for North American hemisphere birds and no nah, dude it's it's, it's uh, rich in potassium it's been living off those bananas for quite a while that's true uh <laughs> they finally get inside and uh rachel actually gets in the room with edelman uh, yeah it's surprising. She gets in the room with the guy she saved so that's interesting in the bathroom not just any room yeah he believes her a little too quick because the whole premise of this conversation and everything is that he's not actually crazy he's just a controller uh, and not even a real controller. He's he's a human who just knows he's a controller. Uh, so he should have maybe thought this was a little weirder. He assumes that her presence there means she knows what's going on. And I like that they even had him come to the conclusion. He goes, he goes, Andalite? And she just kind of nods or acknowledges that. And then he can go on to explain himself. They play pretty fast and loose in this entire book with their identities. Yeah, they're getting a little bit more bold. What with the the speaking to Visor Three and uh, speaking to controllers in general, and yeah, like taking risks with Edelman. Speaking to Visor Three, I understand that and like its development, but showing like this is why you should have other human morphs so that you can do this situation without revealing that you're a fourteen year old kid and what your face looks like. That or everybody should have just acquired X. And then just boom, a bunch of axes and like runs. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm sure they would, you know, pose a, a problem with that though if they're not willing to even more. I don't human. know. I can't see there not being a future um, a future ghostwritten book that doesn't have them morphing andalites. At least a couple of them or something. Yeah. Um. Actually, I honestly don't know if they. Uh... Do ever I, I'm pretty sure they don't ever acquire Andalite morphs. I don't but... think they do because it seems like they would actually use those, but right. uh, it just seems it seems like too easy of a premise that one of the ghostwriters didn't jump on that. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they just didn't have enough time to tackle that or something. Maybe they, they felt a, a book on Atlantis was far more worth their time. <laughs> it was. That's the book with orcas. I am so excited for that book. It's not even funny. Oh, we'll get to it in time. But um, through speaking with uh, with this poor, poor guy, George Edelman, who is resigned to this terrible life with uh, with this just insane yerk um, living in his head who refuses to leave. You know, he's stuck in this this nut house, for lack of a better term, for the rest of his life. 
um, in this terrible, terrible situation. But Rachel learns about this uh, Yerk's basically this addictive substance to them and, and their one true weakness at this point, which is this instant maple ginger oatmeal. Maple and ginger oatmeal. Right. And I mean, I can't stand oatmeal. I hate it. So it's a pretty fitting weakness. <laughs> I like oatmeal, specifically uh, maple. So that's that's weird. Man, I tried getting into oatmeal, but I just can't get over the texture. It, it just felt like regurgitated you know vomit <laughs> in my <laughs> mouth yeah well uh some people like it some people don't the yurks definitely don't well, well actually the problem is that the yurks do <laughs> well their bodies don't is what i meant uh it is so addictive um not only is it distracting them and causing them to go crazy in that aspect it's literally making them go crazy as well they can't handle it over a long period of time without losing control of their hosts and just basically rotting away inside the brain without dying. Yeah, I, I like that um, element of it, though, is that it does allow them to survive without the Candrona. Which, that's clever, because then it uh, it kind of helps us believe that it's addictive as well, because that would make sense that they'd be addicted to something that, uh, you know, they already need to survive on, you know? Something yeah. that has that aspect to it. Yeah, this is this is like the Yerks discovering processed food, McDonald's. <laughs> no, this is like them discovering like uh, like instant suntans or something. Um. Right, <laughs> and then having that instantly turn them crazy. Mm -hmm. So this is a huge problem for for the Yerks, and now so, the team knows about it. So of course we got to go back to Cassie's barn and discuss the ethics of the situation. And well, really, how we that, can that's it. the best place for it, you know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And, and I like this conversation, actually. The the team gets around to kind of debate the ethics of using an addictive substance to fight in the war. And I, I like mean, they're that. They're basically talking, uh, you know, biochemicals. Yeah, yeah. I mean, biochemical there's, there's a lot that could be insinuated with this. And um, I don't know. This I, th I thought they uh, could have tackled this element a lot more, but they all seem to settle on it. Uh, Pretty quickly. <laughs> I just want to point out real quick, we haven't been talking about Rachel's perspective on the story so far. Because in my mind, she doesn't have much of one. She's pretty absent from this book told in the first person from her mind. Well, yeah. I mean, in that she just wants to go along with the plan. Whatever the plan is, no matter how crazy, no matter how dangerous it is, she is actively all for it. Always. I know, but when we talk about a Cassie book, and we talk about them quite a bit, and we have our own very strong opinions on them, we at least know it feels like a Cassie book. And the only, in you know, Jake's book, oh my gosh, those are becoming so centric towards his problems, his identifying factors, uh, his personality. Those books are almost completely different from the rest of the series because there's so much Jake. And same thing, you could say the exact same thing with Marco. Same thing, Cassie. Rachel so far i mean they keep playing up the i'm dangerous i'm gonna jump in every situation and i have to and that worries me but it's not very strong it's just kind of background noise to whatever plot's happening yeah that's that seems to be her uh her trademark for for the time being that and you know getting amnesia her yeah and her i would say that that really we get out of that funk uh, when we hit the David trilogy, and yeah, she has that's, real that's things what gives to deal her, with. Her purpose. Oh man, 
her actually now thinking about it, her perspective on that is it's the best book in that series. So um, I can't wait for that because we definitely don't have it in this book. No, no. Well, I mean, a little bit towards the end, I think she comes off a little bit cooler, but um, we'll get to that in a sec. Uh, here's one scene that I thought was actually really cool from this book is um, after after the team kind of debates about whether or not they should use oatmeal and, and decide for it. You know, they're they're all pretty disappointed because, of course, that means another trip to the Yerk pool is imminent. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next scene, we've got Rachel uh, waking up kind of early at home and she wants to sit down and do some homework. And this is a cool scene because we've get we get Tobias coming to her window and, you know, sitting at her desk with her and helping her with her math homework. And it's very nonchalant. It, it even makes a reference to the fact that this is a very normal thing between them. Which is cool. It's like they have this kind of private life uh, outside of everyone else. Yeah, and, you know, it's a nice little scene. Uh, The whole purpose of it is for Tobias to give the information that he's found a new entrance to the Yerk Pool. But just the way that it's handled in this nice little scene, we get a tiny bit of, you know, relationship development between these two characters that we haven't seen for quite a while. and. It's nice, and it, it, it works because the next scene we cut to is the team going to this new entrance to the Yerk Pool, and uh, it's at a McDonald's. <laughs> yeah, and this is the classic fan uh, conversation of, you know, or not conversation, but reference to the Happy Meal with Extra Happy. Yeah, that's the password that Tobias has painstakingly discovered after scoping out this McDonald's for so long. Is they have to uh, they have to wait around for somebody to order a happy meal with extra happy. That's the keyword, and uh, they're all in flymorph at the time, and they wait around until this happens, and then they follow this person inside uh, this back secret room that I think is hidden in the freezer or something. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and here we have a new little update to the Yerk technology and security for the Yerk pools. Kind of interesting. Yeah, the Gleet Biofilter, which, uh, to be honest, I'd never read this book before, but I'd heard of this, obviously. The later books really go into it. Um, yeah, so I'm, I was really that. happy to see the the origin of that that is in you this know, book. You mentioned that you've never read this book before. I know that I've read it, but it must have been, you know, back in the elementary school days during the first run of the series because... Mm-hmm. I didn't remember anything concerning the oatmeal, but I did when we get to it. Uh, I vaguely remembered Mole Morph. That really? was the only thing that really resonated with me where I was like, oh, yeah, I did kind of read this a long, long time ago. I didn't remember anything else from the book besides the Mole Morph. Huh. Okay. Well, yeah. It's weird that it seems like the Mole Morph is more important than the Bat Morph. Yeah, that one, that's the one that made the cover. Yeah, you never really know. And that's the problem with, with books like this is people pigeonhole them to the one specific plot element. This is the Oatmeal book. That's what it's known for. Nobody ever calls it the Mole Morph book. No one ever calls <laughs> it the Gleet Biofilter book. Yeah, <laughs> nobody calls it that. So uh, that's one thing that I, I kind of like that we're doing with these podcasts is pointing out the fact that these books have a lot more going on for them than what the fan base remembers them for we're shining a bold bright light on the darkness that is the spreading animorphs fan community yeah people (laughs) 
I, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh yeah, we're talking Glee biofilters, right? So they're 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 in the the freezer chamber with the the controller. Everything seems to be going well, and then like an alarm goes off, and X is like, "Oh my God, everybody, GTFO!" And they have to they have to bail real quick. And in fact, you know, some of them end up like losing wings or something because they're hardly through the crack in the door. Yeah, and I really like that off. because. Uh... Axe is really goofy in this book until he's not in this scene where he flips out and, and gets them out of there just in time. So that was nice. I like that turn. That one. Yeah, but this this prevents a new or this proposes a new problem. Um, the team assumes that you know every entrance is probably similarly protected mm-hmm. by these technologies, and they're just kind of like, well, crap. You know, what are we gonna do now? <laughs> and this is when Cassie offers everybody an alternate way to access the Yerk pool, which is, of course, Mole Morph. Hans Molman Morph. I've been feeling a little better about Cassie lately. She's been coming up with better reasons to exist, and, uh, you know, she's becoming a stronger element of the crew. This is another one of those, what the hell were they thinking listening to her? Mole is so small, and you're, you're going to be digging hundreds of meters down to get to the yerk pool i mean it, it works don't get me wrong we all know we've we've read this book it's it ends up working but it nearly kills them just from having to do it i mean it's a lot more work than probably finding the many other ways they get into the yerk pool later well yeah and you know i think um <clears throat> cassie maybe overestimated the mole's ability um and i think she even admits herself that she's you know she doesn't know a whole lot about the moles and that's why when when everybody uh, they they get their mole morphs and they go and find a vacant house that's kind of above the yerk pool, so that they can start their digging and they set up a shop in this shed, I guess storage shed at the yeah. house. Mm-hmm. And um, Rachel, of course, is the one who's going to be going first to test the mole morph. And this was kind of a funny little scene where, you know, like like we've seen in so many other books, the uh, first time they use a morph, they're they're not expecting such strong instincts, and they do get carried away a little bit. But I liked this one in particular because Rachel's kind of like messing around, you know, above ground, and everybody's just sort of standing over her, like talking. <laughs> and it's great because we're in Rachel's mind. She is the mole, and she's thinking all these mole thoughts. But we also get all the little snippets from everybody else who's like, I think the uh, mole's instincts got her. She uh, seems to be digging around there. <laughs> They're, you know, just like observing her until yeah. finally Jake has to pick her up and be like, Rachel, snap out of it. Which I, I assume it's like a dog when you put them like over water, but you don't put them in water. They're just kind of slowly moving in the dog paddle motion. I assume yeah. that's what she was doing in Mole Morph. <laughs> that could have been. Yeah, well, they they set her down, and she goes at it and uh, discovers that it's... She refuses to admit that she lost control of the Morph, of course. But yeah, of course. that's That's been a strong personality trait of her thus far. The inability to admit any wrongdoing. <laughs> <laughs> but she tests out the Mole Morph, and, and they're quick to discover after many hours of digging that it's just not going to be a, an easy or quick process they they even measure their process or progress and realize that it's just going to take forever to dig the damn tunnel <laughs> <laughs> yeah and they instead of trying to find another way to their credit they're just like okay we'll put in the work and it takes <laughs> them four days to put in said work 
Yeah, that that was kind of nice actually. I I like the team hitting snags and then just having to you know work around it, even if their only way to do it is just to work through it. I also um, appreciated the description of uh, the actual being in Molemorph and digging down and how claustrophobic it is and how you can't turn around. You have to dig these little side holes to turn around even and how terrifying that kind of was for them. I appreciate that as someone who is absolutely horrified at the idea of spelunking. <laughs> yeah, well, and she, you know, mentions how terrified she is of, of that until she gets into the mole morph and moles feel way more comfortable and confident underground obviously yep and uh after four days of work uh after four days yeah after four days of work uh they find that they're hitting a snag and that's it's not just a snag it's not like harder soil or anything they hit rock bedrock uh which is obviously a big problem for molemore she can't do much with those claws when you're hitting minerals or, or rock face so uh luckily though there is a crack and rachel's able to squeeze through it and falls into a sub cavern it's not the york pool the underground yes i see that you wrote that in all caps because you thought you were clever in the notes yeah way to uh, take away my i mean this is this is why i write <laughs> these notes because i want to be clever and read them exactly as i wrote them and then you go ahead and do this story spot yeah, the team's all about to give up on their little mole-digging quest until Rachel goes back down one last time and snoops around, and she does find a crack in the rocks, and she does fall into the underground. No, don't try to. I'm not going to let you say it again and completely say it the way you wanted to so that you can now edit my part out. I'm not going to go back and read it. No, I'm not going <laughs> to. I've already mentioned the fact that I wrote it this way because I wanted to say it this way. And you going ahead and saying this point before I get to it, it doesn't deter me. I'm going back and saying it. <laughs> this is the only chance we get to use the title of the book, you know? What's that title I, again? The Underground! <laughs> um, and, and, you know, that's it's one thing. Because sometimes the titles really just don't have much to do with with the book. Yeah, this and, whole book uh, is very themed to the title. I mean, every every morph is an underground creature. Uh, it's all centered around the Yark Pool, which is a big underground setting of the uh, series in general. So, yeah, I appreciate that, them kind of theming the whole book around it. You you appreciate me working the title into no, that? No, I don't appreciate that I, I knew you would. No, I, I knew appreciate the authors for kind of making this theme of the book. Oh, uh, well, this part is kind of weird, actually. I thought, anyway, because they, they're in the <clears throat> ground, the underground, and uh, they fall into a giant bat cave, which is not the least believable part about this. The The least believable part is that once they all get down there, they demorph, first of all. So there are a bunch of kids sitting around in this uh, bat poop-filled cave in one could only assume absolute darkness, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think they mention any light beam down there. No, there's no way. And uh, this is where Tobias finally gets a bat morph. So. Yeah, because the rest of them have him from uh, the Eric book. Way back in, yeah, book uh, number nine. Android. Yeah, eight, eight. No, eight is the alien. Oh, it's either nine or t- it might be ten. I think it might be ten. Nope, nope, it's nine. You're right. Okay, I was right originally. Okay, I'll Just give so it to knows. you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so Tobias awkwardly uh, gets a bat morph in his hawk morph. It's not a morph in his hawk body. Um, <laughs> and they find another crack. 
I guess? Uh, no, once once they get their... Everybody's in Batmorph now, and they're using their echolocation, and not surprisingly, or surprisingly? One or the other. Uh, <laughs> Tobias doesn't uh, encounter any um, bat instincts to deal with, so I guess they didn't have time to write that in. They just kind of skip <laughs> over that. And everybody manages to fly right into the Earth pool with no trouble. And then we get into the uh, the second and... Uh, arguably more exciting part of this book. Yeah, because they all almost die, and it's pretty terrifying. Yeah, this is one thing that I I can find a lot of fault with. I don't know if you were particularly, if you had as many many problems with this as I do, but once they get inside the Yurk pool, and they're flying around in Batmorph, um, they're almost immediately attacked by what is only described as Hunter robots. This is a new security technology uh, to the Yerk pool. And to me, it just, it, it came out of nowhere and it, I didn't feel like it really fit in with the, uh, what we've seen so far. No, I, I disagree with this. I, I do have problems with this scene that's coming up, uh, but I don't have a problem with this because they already did the setup. They did the good writing setup uh, of the BioGleet filters. So you already have this amped up security in the Yurk pool. So the fact that there is now security within the Yurk pool itself as well to yeah, but back up Hunter that. Hunter Robots is just so generic. Well, yeah, the name is generic, but the fact that they have these uh, drones that are flying around the cavern, just making sure there's nothing out of place or there's no animals getting in, that is A, 100% what Visitor 3 would do. We know that they have the technology to do it, and they, we've already seen an instance of them ramping up security. So, to me, this is all in line with the series and the mythology so far. No, I agree that it makes sense. I just would have liked to see a little bit more creativity than, oh no, hunter robots, sure. they're firing they lasers. <laughs> I feel like they probably got backed into a corner with this. Like, what do we call them? But the Animorphs won't know what they're actually called. And, you know, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, they kind I, of know their exposition of like, oh no, those are Escaflone uh, robots. Escaflone? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's a Gundam. It's a Gundam. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I want that book. <laughs> the Animorphs versus Visitor 3's Gundam Morph. <laughs> oh, that'd be a good book. <laughs> right, yeah. That would be. But um, it's, it's hardly a hardly a plot point i just when it happened i was so surprised and off put by how quickly it it came out of nowhere um it just bothered me that's the kind of thing that bothers me so here's what i had a problem with so uh they're all getting attacked and they're all just barely surviving against these things that are shooting them point blank lazily there's just there's no getting away from them really um so rachel loses her wing her wing gets blasted off by one of these hunter robots yeah. and she falls in the yurt pool and the book tried to explain this. It tried to kind of, you know, take our attention away from it. But I refuse to believe that you could morph into a viable host surrounded by yurks and they don't have some kind of instinct to implant you. What do you mean? Like, <clears throat> you don't She's... think the yurks would want bat more or bat? bodies no no no. the bat the bat's fine i understand the york's not going into the bat but um she says she's okay with going to human morph while in the york pool underwater uh she's okay going to human morph 
because the Yurks only go back to the pier. Like, they've trained themselves to go back to the pier, and that's where they do host. But I refuse that a, a, a species that has evolved in little pools on this planet, that whenever a host comes anywhere near them, they're able to get in and implant it. I refuse to believe that if something fell in that was a viable host, that one of them wouldn't try to enter the canal. Well, no, I believe that she never actually put her head under the the water or what are you talking about she goes she goes completely human underwater yeah but she makes a point to mention that um she she goes underneath the pier so they can't see her and she uh specifically mentions that she keeps her head above as she's you know trying to demorph and that's what kind of adds to the tension and everything um, when I read it, I, I was led to believe that, you know, she never went under. I, that, I didn't that's, get that's that what I Maybe I missed something, but uh, I, I, the way they describe the pier, too, when she's an ant morph, it seems like the water is fairly close to the bottom of the pier. So I don't know how she could keep her head uh, out of the water completely. But maybe maybe I missed something. That's fine. That's the kind of thing I was I was specifically paying attention for, because immediately when you get a character falling into the Yurk pool, which, I mean, hasn't really happened since book six. Wow. Um, you know, you're you're attentive to that kind of thing. Like, wow, are, are they going to say that she goes under? And, you know, maybe, like, she plugs her ears or something? That makes sense. Yeah. But, um... I didn't. I didn't encounter any problems with that. Okay, well, we can move she's on. In maybe, there, she maybe demorphs yeah. and she she remorphs, as you mentioned, to to ant. And there, there's a big thing. Ant morph comeback. <laughs> yeah, it seems like there could have been another. I mean, oh, I understand. She wanted to go something incredibly small, like unnoticeably small. Uh, yeah, I, I probably would have gone termite over ant, just because you had less of a chance of running into a colony, which was the big problem with a termite. Versus an ant, that their problem with that was just they couldn't handle the mind itself. Yeah, um, it's surprisingly no problems there controlling ant morph this time. She, because it was uh, convenient, <laughs> right? She she basically manages to march straight out of the yerk pool and attach herself to somebody's pant leg, um, really quickly. So no problems there. <laughs> Very smooth. Uh, very going well for the most part. Although she doesn't know where anybody is, if anybody's alive, whatnot. Yeah, this this was kind of uh, dare I say a convenience here, where you know she's in Ant Morph, not really able to find her way around or anything, but somehow she ends up in a private room where she is able to demorph successfully, and um, she even finds a Dracon beam like sitting around. And this is the part where the story to me finally picked up to a point where i was interested in it it took this long <laughs> yeah so yeah so she gets a drink on beam which that's more rachel's character i can totally see her gunslinging around the yerk pool <laughs> just firing it off i'm surprised she even put it in a low setting and wasn't just murdering people left and right <laughs> yeah yeah um this this definitely brings her character around because i mean i don't even think that, uh, uh, you know, Cassie uh, would be so bold as to pick up a Dracon beam and start, you know, 007-ing around the, the Yurk pool there. Yeah, it's 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 a cool scene. And she, she gets around quite a bit as a human, which, again, pretty flippant with that uh, that human morph, but... 
she even manages to uh, take out a couple of the controllers that are just like standing around. And I think she steals clothes from some of them to kind of blend in with the Yurkpool crowd. Yeah, that's, until she's able to find Axe, the first Animorph she finds. Right, yeah. Pretty much everybody's not doing so well. Axe is, you know, demorphed and he's surrounded by controllers and um, the situation's not going well. Marco's desperately calling out to, to Rachel, like, where are you? Everybody's worried, all that. She's human, she can't respond. I did have a little problem with Axe uh, giving up. That's... I mean, they they beat it into our heads, and animal, and there's no Andalite controllers except Visitor Three. That's because they kill themselves before they take themselves, let themselves be captured. Uh, so the fact that even though he's a kid, even though he's an Aris, uh, I still have a hard time believing that he would give himself up at all. Yeah, but you know, uh, <clears throat> that page count is really clamming, and we gotta wrap <laughs> this thing up. So, <laughs> so X surrenders, no problem. <laughs> um, and this is this is where Rachel manages to overhear uh, quite the convenient exchange between two controllers, um, one of which just so happens to get in trouble for having some oatmeal readily available, convenient to the plot. It lets us know that there is a storeroom nearby that is holding uh, all of the confiscated oatmeal, which is a lot because apparently this is a major problem within your community. Uh, they're being added, addicted left and right. Oh, it also it also uh, uh, would be good to mention the fact that um, in in deciding to go through with this whole oatmeal plot, the Animorphs, um, specifically Marco, has stocked up on on this instant maple ginger oatmeal. Yeah. And even though they've done this, they really had no idea how they would get it to the Yurk pool, especially, you know, when they started going mole more for thinking mole. I don't know what their their strategy was, and they really didn't even have a strategy. They just went down into the Yurk pool. Um <laughs> Well, and that's actually that's actually a big problem with this book. No, it's not necessarily a problem because I think this is just another instance of uh, this was supposed to be a scouting mission, and then once the hunter robots showed up, they were fighting for their lives. There was no this wasn't supposed to be the mission where they took the oatmeal into the pool. I yeah, I guess, but man, it just it wasn't very well thought out. And this plot point here is what makes everything so convenient. Is that they've the Yurks just happen to have a storeroom full of barrels of of oatmeal that they keep on site? Yeah, well, you know, it's very important. <laughs> <laughs> and um, Rachel, in in overhearing this conversation, is is almost discovered once again by the controllers, but she manages to escape once again by knocking out another controller, and she even finds Cassie, who's hanging out in human. I almost said human morph. I picture um, Cassie just like hanging out in the cafeteria eating some fries. I picture Cassie in horse morph standing around again. <laughs> Everybody's just walking by her. She's standing there grazing. Uh, and this is when um, a bug fighter happens to show up carrying, um, you guessed it, Visitor 3, because it's been a book since we've seen him. So. Oh, yeah. He was, he was antsy to get back in the action. Uh, and um, they meet up with Marco, who's already in Gorilla Morph, ready for action, and um, Rachel wants to go elephant, uh, but, or I mean, she wants to go grizzly initially, but then she, she rethinks this as the team is regrouping and she ends up going elephant. Yeah. And I like, I like this little scene in the storeroom where they're like, okay, we've got to go out through here. We've got to get around these people. 
We've got to somehow sneak across this one building, and then we'll be back in the storeroom. And then Rachel's like, wait, isn't the storeroom like on the other side of this wall? And Marco's like, yes, yes, it is. And then they just plow through it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that made sense. That it's was a smart. very movie-like scene. <laughs> and this is, you know, this is kind of a bad situation that they're in, really. Um, but considering what they've got, they make the best out of it. And Rachel manages to, in her elephant morph, toss a couple of these barrels of oatmeal into the, the nearby yerk pool. Well, yeah, they demolished this shed that held all this... Uh oatmeal in it so there's all these barrels that they assume the oatmeal's in because uh it's just there's so much of it so they they start tossing specifically rachel starts tossing these barrels into the yerk pool so they're floating there unopened yeah and then they've got this kind of mexican standoff situation with with visitor three um where you know they're they're basically saying hey give us our freedom and we won't you know addict all your yerks there on this uh oatmeal <laughs> And this is easily the most badass scene uh, in a lot of the books. I would almost say of any of the books so far. I, I will go that far. Um, so they're in this Mexican standoff. It's up to Visitor 3 to either protect the Yorks who are in the pool or let the Andalite bandits go. He makes the decision very quickly that we can lose half the yerk pool, which is what would happen if one of these barrels exploded. We can lose half the yerk pool to this addictive substance if it means I can get the uh, Andalite bandits. And in this scene, Rachel figures that out. It's the best thing that we have to be in her head because she figures it out as he decides to do that. And Rachel, no thought process, no anything, runs up in Elephant Morph and grabs Visitor 3 around the midsection, knowing what these Andalites, how fast they are with their tail, how deadly they are. How... Oh, and she gets hit. <laughs> oh, she gets hit bad. She gets hit once that was kind of just like a surprised Andalite uh, slash, and then he goes for her eyes and probably gets pretty deep and, and really, really hurts the morph. So she, But she gets away with it. She she throws Visitor 3 in this badass scene of into the pool, and then Marco raises the Dracon beam, and asks if Visitor 3 is still willing to uh, to be a part of this possible sacrifice with the Yerks. Uh, it's yeah. Just, it's awesome. Suddenly he cares if they uh, shoot the barrels. <laughs> yeah, it's the best scene in this book and one of the best scenes of the series. So they, they manage to uh, free the rest of the team because, of course, Visitor 3 is not going to give any orders when he himself is, is in danger. And everybody gets to make their escape. But, you know, Visitor 3 is kind of a sore loser. So, <laughs> of course, we haven't seen a morph for, from him for a while. And he uh, does just that. Morphs into this big, spiky bird thing. They say it looks like a pterodactyl. And then they go on to describe it to look almost exactly like a pterodactyl with spikes. Yeah, like a, like a mix between a pterodactyl and a hedgehog. Which and I'd like sweet. to point out, they keep saying pterodactyl, but it's really a pteranodon because pterodactyls didn't have... Uh, a back crest, which they described as having, so... Yeah, they didn't saying. have quills either. Exactly. So. Well, you know, I'm just saying, just throwing out there a little dinosaur knowledge for our, our listeners. But, you know, when I was reading this thing, I was like, man, we don't we don't have many pages left. How's this gonna, how's this gonna end? And uh, they they do get, <laughs> yeah, they get trapped um, sort of inside the Yerk pool, and this is where Rachel comes up with the brilliant idea of just shooting out the ceiling and telling everybody to go mole which they do. Yeah, they're on the staircase. So it's not like they're shooting out the main dome of the York pool. Uh it's just it's just the 
the sloping ceiling into the stairwell. Yeah, probably one one little stairwell. But yeah, there's like Horkbajir coming down the stairs. There's Horkbajir and Visitor Three coming up the stairs. So they didn't have a lot of options. Not nope, not at all. And you know, this is uh, you mentioned earlier how they had to um, in Molmorph they had to dig little spots to turn around. And um, one of the things she mentions here is how they're all able to escape. Um, it took forever, and. She even had to stop and dig out a spot for them to be able to demorph That's... underground and then remorph. Like, how could an individual or even a group of five moles dig a, a, a space underground large enough for the humans and the Andalite Well, I to think demorph? they could do it, and I don't think they were all together. I think they were all doing their own separate holes. So it's not about, yeah. making, it's not about making one giant cavern where they could demorph it's well about... that would be more believable than the individual mole having to i mean think about axe think about the 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 axe mole well, that's why he they would said... have to dig out a huge section just to demorph yeah and that's why they say it took forever but i could believe if they if they had to dig out a, a big space for all five of them i would less believe that because where's all that dirt going where is you know how are they uh how is that being supported a brand new structure underground that that would be harder to believe than them digging out five to six feet in length uh, for a human body to demorph in. So it just probably took a long, long, long time. Yeah, um, probably. And I mean, it doesn't really give us a specific time frame. I, I have to assume it's like the next day or something. Yeah. Um, it cuts to everybody, you know, making their way out to the surface and kind of regrouping and going their separate ways. And uh, the the book ends with uh, Rachel going home after some time and uh, speaking with her mom, who reveals that George Edelman has escaped from the mental health institute with the aid of a large grizzly bear. I wonder who that was. Well, the patients say it was a grizzly bear. No one believes the patients because it's a nut house. So. Right. But, you know, we all know it was Rachel, mm -hmm. <laughs> which is nice. I mean, I'm glad that she uh, eventually ended up going back and helping. I like George how offhanded it was. I like that they didn't actually show the scene. So it was kind of like Rachel was so sick and, and tired after this Yerkpool getaway that she just was so fed up with all the bull crap. She went over to the mental institution, morphed a grizzly, opened his door and let him out. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it, it was definitely cool, and we didn't even need to see the scene play out in order to believe it and, you know, be happy with it. Um, and the whole mother being his lawyer was irrelevant. I mean, that was just for a couple lines of exposition. They could have done that a more clever way. Yeah, yeah, now that I think about it. When I first read that line, I was thinking, oh, great, now we're going to have to sit, you know... In a courtroom scene yeah. with Rachel sitting there. <laughs> oh, come on. How good would that be if we had an entire book that was uh, uh, somebody on trial? And it was like the uh, it was like the poker game from Casino Royale where there's the main poker game. And then all these adventure scenes are happening outside or in hotel rooms around it. And they all come back to the table. How awesome it would be if the Animorphs had this courtroom scene where they're morphing outside, coming back in. They're trying to keep witnesses alive, and <laughs> that'd be awesome. You know, that would be pretty awesome. That, I want to read that me book. Megamorphs number five. Yeah. Courtroom drama. I want that book. <laughs> so this this book ends with just one little last uh, beat here where 
Rachel's hanging out at home. Things are great. Uh, Marco stops by to unload his oatmeal on her um, and presumably, you know, confess his love for her. Oh, that's, that totally happened off screen. 100%. <laughs> well, they gave her they gave her a scene with Tobias. Now they got to give her a scene with Marco. Yep. Those are, that's the love triangle. Is my theory. If she would have pushed that into a love triangle, like actually made it more uh, more obvious instead of the subtle good love triangle it is now, um, this could have totally been Twilight. <laughs> Maybe I'm I'm almost glad it didn't go that route. Well, that I'm just saying it could have it could have had that popularity, except it would have had good writers behind it. Ah, yes, I see your point. Mm-hmm. Well, my friend, that is book number seventeen, The Underground. I think we've discussed it. I think we've done it justice. Mm-hmm. I think we are ready to rate and review it. What say you? I say I'm going first. Oh, okay. Deal with it. Wondering which roller coaster has the highest top speed or what exhibit is our guide's favorite in the park? Just ask them. They love to share their opinions and critical analysis to help you better plan your day. So, this book was I don't know. It's not it's not as bad as everybody makes it out. It's definitely not a, a a one out of five or anything. And it's one of those books that, yeah, the whole oatmeal thing has become more infamous than what the actual plot was or, or, or the writing standard or anything. And I think at this point, Rachel is more of a side character. So she's the she's the one who has some witty lines, has some sarcastic remarks with uh, Marco and, and is the one who's ready to jump into battle. She doesn't have a full on character yet, which is why I think her books struggle I and mean, that's the worst thing about this book because it's just struggling to have a personality i don't think they found it yet so uh with that said i was writing a two for pretty much the entire book uh that said a couple of the scenes i think were excellent the the mexican standoff and everything after they demorphed from bats i thought was really really good and, and better writing than the rest of the book uh, I like that they went back to the York pool and it was actually another really tense situation. wasn't as scary as the first time, but since they added in all those claustrophobia uh, elements, it actually made it pretty terrifying as well. But yeah, I think they also did a good, uh, a good job of this book being themed. Uh, it's the underground and everything has to do with the underground, including their wars. So that's pretty clever. Uh, so that, that brought it up to a three. So I'm going to give it three out of five uh, Gleep biofilters. Oh, you took my rating. I was going to use the Gleep biofilters. It's mine. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, <clears throat> I, I, for the most part, I think, feel like you and I have the same opinions for a lot of this. Um, the things I liked about the book, uh, the fact that George Edelman as a character, uh, he actually had a really depressing story that I, I think... Maybe they could have done a little bit more with it. It could have been interesting. Um, the short snippet we're given works for the story, and it's entertaining enough. Uh, the the things that I kind of had a problem with are definitely, like you said, with Rachel. At this point, she has very few character traits to her. She's had less development, I feel like, than even Cassie. Um, she's just way too impulsive. Uh, which which did get kind of annoying um, throughout. Uh, I feel like the plot of the story hinges on some major conveniences, too many 
conveniences, in fact, for me to really consider it a a well-thought-out story. Um, I feel like the, the whole oatmeal plot, while interesting, uh, it's kind of like the cannibalism plot in that it will be quickly forgotten and never mentioned again. Um, I, like you said, everything up until the point where they demorph from Bat, uh, it was, was kind of boring, to say the least. It, it felt like I actively had to work through it to get to where this story was going. And then in the end, um, while it was kind of a fun climax, it, it just really didn't leave me with a very strong impression overall. Um, and because of that fact, uh, I, I couldn't really recommend this book to, you know, fans of the series. I, this is one of the books where I'd say, eh, you could skip it. You really could. And because of that, it doesn't earn a three in my eyes. It, it's, it's a full-on two. This book gets two out of five uh, Batmorphs. Batmorphs. So uh, there you be, my Yeah, friend. that's interesting. I thought you were going to get a three out as well. No, I, I, I felt very strongly about a two until I hit that end point where it ramped up a bit. And then I thought, oh, this is, this is some three worthy action here, but it doesn't get into any of that, uh, until far too late. Yeah. After the point where I stopped caring. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's just, when I think about it, when I really think hard about it, this is not a book that I would go, oh yeah, you should read this one. This would be one that I would full on go, nah, skip it. Hmm, interesting. Nothing important happens. Skip it. Yeah, I don't know. Um, there's elements that I thought were worthy of this book as, as far as just... It's not really filter. Uh, it's not really filler because I don't know if this oatmeal stuff ever comes back. I don't think it does, but who knows? Yeah, I don't, I don't think it does either. Much like the cannibalism plot. You know, they might they might mention it later on. As far but... as we know, all of these things come back up in the ghostwritten books that we've never read. So... Right. We'll see. I, I I I have an inclining though that I doubt the oatmeal plot will uh come back into play ever again. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, well that's this week's episode. I mean that's uh that's our review and discussion of the seventeen the underground. Uh hopefully you enjoyed it. I, I I at least enjoyed reading the book. I mean it was I thought it was worth reading. So I always enjoy reading an Animorphs book. <laughs> Whether or not I could go on to recommend it to new fans of the series or just anyone, mm-hmm. this wouldn't be one of those books. So okay, well great. Uh hopefully you enjoyed the episode. And definitely if you did, go on iTunes. Uh you can review us on there, give us five stars. We've got a pretty good run right now. Don't ruin it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right only five stars yeah so far 21 reviews or i think it's up to like 23 now i can't remember no nah, um, we're still on 21 either way but uh you can also go to our facebook like us on there if you want to see when the new episodes come out or if we have other things to post we usually post a lot of it on the facebook and uh usually whatever gets posted to the facebook i also post to the twitter but i post to some other things to twitter as well so you can follow us on twitter at, at morphcast uh where michael grant and series author k applegate have followed our twitter so that's uh that's who you've got to compete with as far as looking at our tweets Ooh, and we're so popular we are we're so popular and you can also obviously check out our website where all the episodes are posted as well as uh, some bios about us. And apparently we're saving the wildlife now. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I after thinking about it uh, good and long, I, I think this 
ThoughtSpeak podcast can be put to some good use by sort of spreading the word about um, some of the transgressions that are happening currently um, concerning our, our endangered animal species. Um, specifically, elephants, rhinos, and tigers are, are three of the primary ones that, that come to mind. Um, so I'm working on uh, a new page of the website called Save the Animals. Um, if it's up by the time we get this episode posted, by all means, go check it out. There's some real troubling facts uh, listed there, and we'd really like to spread the word about this. And um, particularly, I just want to get the word out about stopping um, ivory uh, trafficking and terrorism funding. Yeah. Some serious stuff. We're, we're getting into the heady uh, subject matter on our website, which you can check all that out at uh, thoughtspeakcast.com. So that's where that is. That's right. If you have um, anything to add to that or you want to just talk to us in general, you can uh, email us at thoughtspeakcast at gmail.com as well. That would be a good idea. We love hearing from y'all. Mm -hmm. As well as uh, coming out to Reddit and joining the conversation. Yeah, r slash animorphs on Reddit. That's where we hang out and post the episodes. So we uh, we reply to a lot of people on there as well. That's where we usually bring up the conversations. We do. We love chatting. Yep. So that's where you can contact us and see more of our stuff. Uh, right now we are uh, also promoting Mitch's new book series, uh, Devil Ash Days, which you can see at devilashdays.com, which uh, Mitch is the author of that series. There's going to be three books uh, pretty soon, within this year. It's coming possibly. up. Yeah. Uh, but there are two books released right now, and uh, I actually directed a book trailer, a live-action book trailer for the book series, which can also be checked out at devilashdays.com. It's super cool. It would be in your best interest to support uh, the series, support us, the hosts of this podcast, in our personal and professional lives. We greatly appreciate it. All your reviews, all your friendly comments, everything. Yeah, so check all that out and let us know what you think. Uh, so that's us. That's that's the episode. Uh, I'm glad we're sticking to this new format of keeping things pretty tight, which is why we we're not really reading any reviews from listeners this week or anything like that. Maybe we'll be able to fit that into future episodes. Uh, but right now, I, I like that we're uh, wrapping things up on time and and still getting into some really good discussion. So this is how I'd like our new episodes to be for the future. <laughs> They will continue to go like this. Uh, next time, we are reading book number 18, The Decision. This yeah. is, uh, this is I anticipate, going to be a good one. I hope so. It's Axe, right? Oh, yeah. Okay, good. Well, yeah, we'll be getting to that next time on ThoughtSpeak. My name is Coleman. <laughs> My name is Mitchell. Uh, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and a Happy New Year, everybody. Yeah, everybody be safe and uh, have a good have a good time this holiday season, and we'll see you after the break. We'll see you in the new year, 2015. Thoughts be. On behalf of everyone here at the Gardens, we hope you've enjoyed your stay and welcome you to come and see us again soon. Or, as they say on the Serengeti, Tafadali Mtu, Kupata Jambo, Hilienje, Yakichua Yangyu.